Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Wow. Happy Mother's Day. (laughs) Jesus is not like holding back here, right? He's asking for it all. He says, love me more than you love your dad. Love me, have more affection for me than you have for your mother. Value me higher than you value your own kids, okay? This is a pretty hard call of God, and it seems like, honestly, it seems just, uh, uh, it seems a little selfish of Jesus to ask for this. And I know for a fact that he did not bring this message originally on Mother's Day, okay? But with that, because they didn't have Mother's Day then, But I know for a fact he didn't. In spite of that, I am convinced of the fact that if he were standing before us today, he would say the exact same thing to you this morning on Mother's Day. And he would be completely right to do so. Because if I were to say this about me, hey, moms, Love me more than you love your own kids. As your pastor, I think it's appropriate. Love me more than you love your mom. You would be totally right to say, and what were the directions to James River? You know what I'm saying? Like, that would be totally right for you to do. Because that would be selfish and completely inappropriate for me. Right? But Jesus could stand before you today, and technically it would be, I guess, selfish as in focused on himself, but in spite of the fact that it would be focused on him, he could, from his deep love for you, say to you, love me more, have more affection, deeper affection, have a higher value on me than anybody else. And not only would he be right to do so, he would be saying it out of his deep love for us. And here's why. Because if I was made for him, and if my heart was made in such a way that it was designed for Jesus Christ to be the one who's the king of the hill in my heart, right? If he was the one that I was supposed to value above all else, if this is what I was designed for, and if I'm restless until I find my rest in him, then boy, if I get that out of whack, then I not only will be restless, but in my love for others, they will be restless as well. My wife and I have a king-size bed. That's not the bed that we had when we first got married. When we first got married, we lived in a little, little house. If if we would have lived in that house now, everybody would be like, oh, it's a tiny house. It's so cute. Then it was 700 square feet. It was small. It's a small house. We loved it. It was a great time together. In fact, I'm convinced that every person who gets married needs to live starting in a very small house that you can't hide from your spouse in. I think that's hugely important. But the bedroom was so small that, like, legitimately, if we would have put a king-size bed in that room, like, we would have had to jump through the door to get on top of it, because there was not room. It wasn't a king-size bedroom. It was a, it was really at most, so we had a full-size bed, and that was, I think, again, ideal for a newly married couple. I think that in bed, you should not be able to hide from each other to start with. Like, I think full-size is as big as you should get to begin with, okay? 
In fact, I think twin would be best because then you're forced to spoon while you're in the bed. I think there's something really beautiful about that as you're getting started on this in life. Now, a while later, bring it back. Okay, a while later, we moved into a bigger house, which had a bigger bedroom. And <laughs> because I loved my wife, we also got a bigger bed. And we got a king-size bed, but one of the king-size beds that we still have to this day that has, like, independent box springs, right? Like, I call them an independent suspension system so in our bed, right? So she's got her box spring, and I've got my box spring, and it's fantastic because it's, like, the best of everywhere world. We're in the same bed, but it's, like, we have our own bed. Nobody's with me. Okay, cool. So... <laughs> But in spite of the fact that we have independent suspension systems in our bed, if she's restless, I'm restless. If I'm not sleeping well, she's not sleeping well. If I'm tossing and turning, she ends up tossing and turning. Because, like, it affects each other. And our love is exactly like that. If I am restless in my love, I will make others restless as well. If God designed in my heart a very specific place for himself, and I try to take my wife and put her there, then I will be looking for something from her that she was not designed to give. And as a result, I'll be ravenous in my love and I'll constantly be seeking something that she can never give me. And not only will I be restless in that love, but she will be restless in that love. And in my restlessness, I will injure her. And friends, that's not love. And it's the exact same for our kids. If we put our kids in a place that they were not designed to be in our lives... And they are the highest good, and they are the greatest value. If that is the case, then we will be looking for something from them that they were not designed to give us. And we will be restless in our love, and the eventual end of that will be that we will injure them in our love, and that is not love. Real love for those around us is love that is coming from a place of a wholeness, and a place of completeness. I believe the love that is best is coming from a place of rest. Which means, if we love him most, we will love others best. That's why we put him at the highest. We ensure that he is at the highest in our hearts. And if we do, then our love for all others, we won't be ravenous in that love, but it'll be the way that God designed it to be. So Christ could stand before you today and say, if you want to love and be loved rightly, love me most. Another way he could say that is a word that I don't think we use enough. In fact, I really want to inject this word back into the language of praise. I use it a lot in my own heart. I've been using it a lot in my conversations. And I think it's time for us to inject this into the conversation and language of this church. And that is the word treasure. If we treasure him most, if he is the highest and greatest treasure in our life, if he is the highest value 
in our life. Paul calls it in Philippians, if he is of surpassing value, then all else will fall perfectly into place. Treasure. In fact, I want to read a verse to you that, again, has been a verse that I've mentioned tangentially over the last few weeks. Um, it's just a couple pages to the right. I've mentioned it tangentially over the last few months, I should say. We also uh, were, were, we had questions about it in our community group. Um, but I just think it's an excellent verse, an excellent verse that has really, um, just really laid hold of my heart. It's Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. Here's what it says. Page 819, Matthew 13, verse 44. Here's what it says. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field. I love this verse for multiple reasons. And I want to give you each of the reasons. Number one, I'm pretty sure that this verse indicates that there are pirates in the Bible. Right? There's a treasure buried in a field. I mean, I know the history of it. Come on. But pirates in the Bible. Treasure, pirates. In fact, <laughs> going down that road a little bit further, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Not uh, Pirates of the Caribbean 74, which came out last month. Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, like one of the first ones, which by the way, has anybody else noticed that at this point they don't make new movies? They just make the same movie over and over and over again and put a new number at the end of it and everybody's like, oh, take more money. You know what I'm saying? Like, seriously, I don't think they even shot new footage. They just keep showing the same stuff, call it something else, and everybody goes and sees it. This business of endgame? Oh, come on. It's not the end game. They're going to show that same movie a hundred more times, and you're going to keep on giving them money. I saw that movie originally in like 2002, and it was called Spider-Man, and it hasn't changed since. They just gave it a new name, friends. Sooner or later, you'll catch on. It's true. You don't want to hear it, but I'm a pastor, and i got to tell you what's true. Okay, it's the same movie. Guys, just keep watching them. All right, so Pirates of the Caribbean. Jack Sparrow's uh, compass in that. You guys remember that? The compass, what the deal was with the compass was not that it would point at true north, but instead it would point at the thing that we valued most. And I am convinced that that is the best metaphor for our heart, best definition for what our heart is like. It points at what we treasure most, and the affection that it feeds back leads us to that convinced of that fact. So I love this passage for that reason. The other reason why I love this passage is because this is Jesus giving a story and this verse right here, and, and it's kind of sneaky, right? Sneaky, but it's not too sneaky. It's, it's like a little dishonest, but not too dishonest, which is not something you want to hear your pastor say, but that's kind of what's going on here with Jesus who said it, but like listen to it. Here's a guy who's walking through a field and finds a treasure. And he doesn't like, <laughs> treasure, that's mine. Yoink and walk off with it. He's not that dishonest. But he's like, cover it up. 
and then go and sell everything so that I can buy the field and it will be mine legally. You know what I'm saying? It's like sneaky but not too sneaky, dishonest but not too dishonest. Does that all make sense? So we have like a sneaky but honest pirate here. This is awesome to me. I love this passage for that reason. But the thing I love most about it is something right in the middle that I missed and missed and missed and missed and missed every time I read it. It was something that I think I read too quickly and I just blew right over the top of. But it caught me recently and has not yet let go. Because the way I used to read this is, there's a guy walking through a field, finds a treasure, he buries it up, goes and sells everything he's got, brings it back, buys it, and then he's got the treasure. But that's not what it says. Here's what it says. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, in his joy, he sold all he had. So he didn't leave that field and begrudgingly, under compulsion, can't believe I have to sell all my stuff. He didn't sell his house and mumble and grumble under his breath the whole way. He wasn't angry that he had to sell his best donkey that he had just upgraded. No. It says in his joy. And when he went to the bank... In order to empty all of the accounts, he wasn't looking at the ground going, you guys sell everything. It's not what he's saying. What does it say? In his joy, he did this. It is joyful for him. Why? Because he knows that that which is in the field is of greater value than everything else. And so he's like, Okay, I'm going to sell the donkey, I'm going to sell the house, I'm going to empty the bank account, and I'm bringing it back and I'm buying it. Why? Because the greatest treasure was there in that field. And this is why I am convinced of the fact that joy is the best indicator of what our treasure is in our heart. What do you think will bring you the most joy? What are you convinced if you just had that thing would have, bring you joy? Because that would be your treasure. Joy will indicate that for you. This is why, G, uh, why God said, Paul said, but ultimately God said in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, he said, each one must give as he has decided, decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Hear that again. He doesn't want your money. He doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. Because if he wanted your money, he'd be like, I don't care how they give it. I just want their money. Be compulsion. Be uh, begrudging. I don't care. I get your money. But he says, no, I want you to give cheerfully, which means that he wants in our hearts that he is above all so that when we give to him, it comes from a place of wholeness and joy in our hearts. That's what he's saying. He wants your heart and him to be the king of it. And you can tell by whether or not there is joy as you give. Which is why when you ask a church for $50,000 and they give seventy, dollars you know 
This is God inclining hearts towards him. Because this is a heart issue. Not because we have to, but because God has done great things in my life, with joy I give to him. Let me give you another passage, and this one's it's a beautiful passage, but it's really also a very ugly passage. And I want you to read it with me because it speaks to this in kind of a hard way. It's in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. Here's what it says. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggling with suffering, struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. What he's talking about here is apparently these guys, when they first believed, it was a hard thing, and there was persecution as a result. And it says that some of them suffered that directly, publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and some of them didn't. But even those who didn't experience it personally partnered with those who did, and here's what that looked like. So some were thrown into prison. And the other people, the other believers, they didn't hide away. But because of their love for them, because of that love, they actually went and visited them in prison in spite of the fact that I guarantee you there's people watching. I guarantee you they're watching. Okay, who else is one of these Christians? And as a result then, they exposed themselves to also experiencing that same thing. And it says then, as a result, here's what it says, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Now hear that. Joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. I could expect naturally that it would say, you accepted the plundering of your property. I could expect that, right? If I have faith in God, I trust that he is sovereign, I trust that he is Lord, then I can accept if my house is broken into, somebody busts down the doors, smashes all my furniture, tear, carries off all the goods, and then burns my house to the ground. I could accept that. Say, God, I trust that you are good, and I trust that you are faithful, and even in this, it's okay. I accept it. But that's not what it says they did. What does it say? They joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. What in the world? How could that be possible? Well, it tells us right after that. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Why? Since you knew that you yourselves had had a better possession and an abiding one. There's something better. There's a possession that goes beyond this house. And there's something beyond. And what possession is better than Jesus Christ? And they have Christ, and Christ comes with a promise. 
Not only do we get Christ, but we also get an eternal reward of a better country and a better city and a better foundation. And so they look at the plundering of their property. And let me be clear that this isn't like a pasted on, I'm joyful as you're burning my house down. That's not it at all. I guarantee you there was weeping. I guarantee you there was mourning. But there's an underlying joy. And I'm convinced of the fact that that joy actually helps us to mourn better, to weep more appropriately. It doesn't hide from it, but it underlies it and gives strength in the midst of it. Joy that makes an obvious statement of the fact, I have a better possession. Joy is the best indicator of where your treasure is. Because by faith, if my treasure is Jesus Christ, then take it all and I can still be joyful. That's what this says happens. Joyfully accepted the plundering of their property because they knew, they knew that they had a better possession. That is what it means to have Christ above all, to treasure him more than anything else. And I think often what we'll find as we examine where our joy comes from or where our hope for joy comes from, often what we'll find is he's not it. Often what we'll find in our heart is that something else is sitting in that place. And often, what I would call that is idolatry. Because that place belongs to him and him alone. But now I step back and I say, oh Jesus Christ, you are not my greatest treasure. How in the world do you become my greatest treasure? And this, friends, is when you need to pastor your own heart. And Jesus tells us how to do that. There's many ways that he gives us, and yet there's one in particular that I want to focus on. Because he just flat out calls it like it is. It's just a gorgeous passage of scripture, too. It's also in Matthew. We're in Matthew a lot today. Matthew chapter 6. Verse 19. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Here's what it says. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is a great passage of scripture for pastors. Because when you want somebody to do something, you tell them, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. On Friday, we were in the kitchen, and there were some guys who were working tirelessly for no pay, this side of heaven. But I reminded Doug Shirosky multiple times, brother, you are laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven. 
Listen, if I would have gone to CBC and they would have just focused on that passage the entire time and how to use it as a pastor, they'd still be in business. Okay. Yeah, too soon, sorry. Back to it, back to it, okay. What I love about this passage is do not lay up for yourselves. That word there is actually treasure up. Do not treasure up for yourselves. Treasure here on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but treasure up for yourselves. Treasures in heaven. Your heart is your treasurer. Your heart is and responds to whatever that greatest value is by inclining you towards it, by pointing towards it, and giving affections appropriately. That's why joy feeds back. Because that's what you value most. That's what your heart is aiming for. But here it says, if you find in yourselves that you want to treasure up or if you want to change that location, change what you're treasuring up and where you're treasuring it up. Don't treasure it up here because, man, that's not going to last very long. But treasure it up in heaven Value that greater, and guess what? Your heart will follow, because that's what it says. It says right there, very plainly, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, husbands, you find in yourself, I do not love my wife the way I used to. The love is gone. The affection isn't there anymore. I no longer treasure her the way I once did. Friend, nobody deserves or gets credit for that more than you. Because it is my responsibility to guard and protect my own heart. And it is also my responsibility to pastor my own heart. So if you do not treasure your wife like you once did, here's what you need to do. What do you treasure? Money? Buy her a whole lot of stuff. Can I get an amen, ladies? I'm not joking. What do you treasure? You treasure money? Buy her jewelry. Hear the voice of the Lord today, everybody. (laughs) You treasure your time? Take your time and invest it in her. Treasure yourself? Take yourself and submit it before her and give her and, and, and just continue to provide for her and serve her as a husband should serve. And you will treasure her again. Do you hear this? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You can pastor your heart by taking whatever it is you do treasure and investing it where you want to treasure. I'm convinced of the fact that God is calling us to Northeast Springfield as a church. I'm convinced of it. Because I believe God is doing something incredible right now on this Northeast corner of Springfield. And praise is not all of it. It's beyond us, but we get to participate with him in it. 
And I believe truly that we will say that it has never been better. I believe it from the depths of my being because God is doing a work. And friends, I'm not the one who decided to plant this church here, to move it here. That happened before I was born. And I believe that it was the Holy Spirit that led them to that. So, the Holy Spirit led them to that. I think we better start acting like it. Because I don't live right in this area. But I can love right in this area. And many of you don't live in this area. But you can love right in this area. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24 says, Consider how you might stir one another up to love and good works. Consider how you might stir one another up to love and good works. Love and good works are not the same thing. Love does not equal good works. If it would, if it was, it would just say, Consider how you might stir one another up to love. Good works is not love. Otherwise, it would just say, consider how you might stir one another up to good works. But it doesn't. Very specifically says, stir one another up to love and good works. And I don't think it's accidental that the love comes first. Because the love equips and empowers the good works. So tell me, how do we put our hearts here? Well, friends, we take our treasure and we put that here. And so as a result of your faithful giving here at Praise Assembly, we've got about $22,000 in a war chest to minister effectively here. And I want you to hear what we're going to do with that because I want you to know transparently what's happening. Because I'm not going to hide it. I think it's a great thing but I want you to see transparently what we're doing. Let me start with this, and I want you to hear it properly. If you don't hear it properly, that's on you. But hear this properly, because I'm going to say it, but I want you to hear the heart behind it. Right now, there's a lot of transition happening in the schools with Pleasant View and Hillcrest, and that's fine. We're playing the long game. But as part of that, it's difficult to kind of figure out exactly what this is going to look like right at this moment. But we're not in a hurry. God's doing a greater work, and we're just participating with him. All we need to do is keep in step with the Spirit, yoke ourselves to Jesus Christ, and we're going to be all right. We'll, we'll figure it out, and it'll be great. But let's say, let's just say, we cannot find a way to invest that. Let me tell you what I would do with it if we couldn't figure that out we've already kind of put some pieces together and there's more to come. What I would do with that if we couldn't figure that out, I would get a cameraman and I would get a shovel. I would turn it all into cash. I would go around to Pleasant View and Hillcrest and Truman and Fremont and I would dig a hole and I would bury it there and then I would show you the video. Because where your treasure is there your heart will be also. So here's what we are going to do. Oh, we're going to record the living daylights out of it. And you will know every bit of it where it's going. Because where your treasure is, 
there your heart will be also. Stir one another up to love. That's real affection, folks. That's real, and it's deep, and it's true. And we are going to stir up love in this church for this community. It doesn't matter whether you live here. All that matters is whether you love here. So love here, even if you don't live here. And ultimately, it is Jesus Christ that as we love him first and as we love him best, we will love others rightly. As we love him most, we'll love others best. And so it starts with that. But now wait a second. You talked about my spouse and you talked about my community. What about him? Because you're telling me I need to treasure him above all else. What if I find in myself that that's not the case? Well, take whatever it is that you do treasure and put it in him. Because anything that's in his place is an idol. So bring that idol before him. And guess what happens to idols in the presence of God? 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse 2. Then the Philistines took the ark of God, the presence of God, which they had captured, and they brought it into the house of Dagon, their idol. And they set it up beside Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and they put him back in his place. But when they rose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. And the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. Whatever it is that's in his place, and I don't know, truly, you may need to sell your truck Whatever is in his place, bring it and put it in him. And what he will do, and it might be a good thing, a good thing. But if you bring it before him, the idolatry will fall on its face before him. And it might get back up. Oh, but it'll fall again. And it might get back up, but it'll fall again. And eventually the idolatry itself will be crushed. And if you love him most, then you will love others best. So mothers, love Christ more than you love your kids. Children, love Christ more than you love your own mother. Husbands, Love Christ more than you love your own wives. Wives, love Christ more than you love your own husband. Because if I, as your pastor, love you as a church more than I love Christ, then I will be looking for something from you that you were never intended to give to me. 
But if I love him most, then I will know how to properly and rightly love you as your pastor. And I will know how to properly and rightly love this community because I love him most. That space belongs to him and to him alone. And if there is anything else, put it in him, your heart will follow and idolatry will fall. Would you stand with me today? I do believe, by the way, I want to establish, and we won't get into the theology of this right now, but I do believe it is possible to be a believer 